What I want to do over the next two or three Sundays is I want to cover Romans chapter 12 and at least the first eight verses. Maybe we'll get the whole chapter, but I want to do a series on this mountain peak of Scripture. And what you have going here in in Paul's letter to the believers in Rome, those Roman Christians, is you have 11 chapters that are basically doctrinal Content, chapter 1 through 11. It's dealing with the doctrines that we believe. Doctrine is not just teaching. Doctrine is what we believe as Christians, as Bible believers. And chapter 12, now Paul changes his focus from doctrine to our duty. What is our duty, our practical duty in light of the doctrines that we believe. So he starts talking about in this chapter, exhortations, things that we are to do as Christians. So notice in chapter 12, first of all, we are to present our bodies in verse 1. Secondly, we're to present our minds to God in verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you see it there? Thirdly, we're supposed to present our gifts to God. In verses 3 through 8, it deals with the gifts that have been given to Christians. Every one of us in here this morning has a gift or a combination of gifts that we're supposed to use in our service to one another in the church and in service to God through Jesus Christ. And uh, we're supposed to present all of those things Give all of those things as an offering to God, Paul says. But we're just going to deal with this first verse, as I've said, presenting our bodies to God. This is the language of sacrifice. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, this is why it's so important that you read your whole Bible. Because the Old Testament, it pictures the New Testament. And there's so many things that we learn about from the Old Testament that are used as illustrations in the New Testament by the apostles. And so when Paul is talking about sacrifice, our minds should go back to the Levitical priesthood, back to the offerings that were offered by God's people. And from that, Paul draws this picture, and he says, if you want to know... He says, and then there was light. (laughs) Amen. Maybe that should have been my text this morning. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a, an attention grabber. The Lord really wants us to get this right here. And it came at a important time too. Uh, if you want to know what the Christian life is supposed to be like, what is the model of the Christian life? It's a living sacrifice. That's it. That's what your life, that's what my life is supposed to be. But you know... Sacrifice, offerings, that's not the way of today's culture. Uh, Nothing matters more today in our own culture than my opinion, my preferences, my wants, my desires, my personal pleasure. If you overstep on my personal happiness, 
then there's no higher law. There's no greater offense. If you try to contradict my opinion, oh my, you're in trouble. And people will bow down to this. People worship this. this it's a self-centered society that we live in. What was it, the Red Sox recently? One of the Red Sox ball players tweeted something about how transgender people and homosexuals, they cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, that they have to repent. And he gave a, a really good gospel presentation and a call to repentance, which is what Christians should do. And, and so he did that in a tweet, I think. And he was fired. And the coach of the team apologized to the LGBTQ alphabet community and to these people pretending to be another gender other than the God-given gender that they received at conception. <clears throat> Apologize to that other community. Not worried about offending the Christian community. Not worried about offending God and His holy word. Of course, it's not about that, is it? Beth brought up, Beth, I got a pretty wise wife. I run my sermons by her. She helps me to iron them out. No, I'm just kidding. But I'll talk to her about things. And you know, she's pretty wise. She said, I don't think it's about offending anybody. She said, I think it's about money. And they were talking about those pride days that they had at the ballpark. They're probably seeing more people in there than they've seen in a long time. And they're talking about how happy the time was. And they're probably talking about how many hot dogs they sold and everything else. It's good for business. People aren't worried about offending God. You see, the highest law in the land is, do you offend me and my own opinion, my own preferences? Um, you know, we see this in the choice of careers. Young people coming up and they're deciding what they want to do with their lives. And uh, I think this generation is, is, a lot, is different than the builder generation or what we call the greatest generation. It's, it's different in a lot of ways and I'm not trying to put them all down or paint them all with a broad brush but what young people ask today is how can I make the most money? That's what they think of. Or they think what would impress others? What, what could I feel proud about at a high school reunion? This is how they think about their careers, their life ahead of them. What do I enjoy doing? That's what people think about when they think about, what do I want to do for work? And I'm not saying that those things are necessarily bad motives, but I'm saying this, they're not enough, not for a Christian. Sure, I want to do something that I enjoy. Sure, I want to make enough money to, to take care of my family and be able to support the gospel ministry and so on. But that's not the highest motive for living. We should be asking questions like this. What can I do that would serve and benefit others? I think that's what leads people to become firemen. That's what leads people like my friend from Boston, Jackson Lowbridge, to become a firefighter. Or my friend from uh, Buffalo, New York, to become a firefighter. That's what led them to join the, the military. They wanted to serve. That's what leads people to, hopefully that should be what leads people to go into nursing and, and into medicine. I hope that a nurse doesn't enter that field just because they think, I'm for sure going to be able to get a job, or because the money's good, or because I can go anywhere with this trade. I hope that they think I want to care for people. I hope that they think when I, when I go into caring for people in rest homes or, or in, in rehabilitation centers or whatever, 
that it's because they want to serve. They, they think that this would best benefit the people of our country. You know, there's countless things that, that could be mentioned there. Things that benefit. That's how we should think about it as Christians. You know, but I, I'm afraid that really the question is, is how does this benefit me? And that's really the outlook, not just on the careers, that was just an example, but on life itself. Like I said, we are very, very self-centered. And I, I'm, hey, guilty, man. <clears throat> because before I became a Christian, life was all about number one. And that was me, right? And, and that's the same for you, too. But when you become saved, you start to realize, I'm not number one anymore. You know, I want Jesus to, to, to sit upon my heart. I want my heart to be His royal throne, and He is number one. So your, your perspective, your view on life changes. And in your life as a Christian can be defined as sacrifice and service. To be a living sacrifice. So I want to look at this verse in three parts. Number one, the application. Number two, the, the presentation. And number three, the illustration. So first of all, the application. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Therefore. You know, whenever you see that word, therefore, you always have to ask yourself, what's it there for, right? That's a good uh, Bible study uh, tip. What's it there for? Paul is making this strong appeal based on the mercies of God. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Of God, And basically when he says, therefore, he's referring to all of those mercies that he's mentioned in the first 11 chapters. Not the least of which is Romans chapter 3 verse 24, which says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. To be justified, to be considered right with God, to be accepted with God. When, when I got saved, I eventually learned that what happened is God, God sees me now as righteous, as right with Him. In God's eyes, when He sees me, He looks through the blood of Christ and He, just, he really sees His Son and what His Son did on my behalf on the cross of Calvary. And when God sees me, I'm justified. You say, what does that mean? It means it's just as if I'd never sinned. All of the guilt of my sin... The, the, the shame, it's all canceled out. And I'm imputed, I'm charged with. It's not that I've lived a life and justified myself before God, no. God doesn't look down on us and say, there's a pretty kind person, there's a pretty nice person, they do a lot of good things for others, therefore I will accept them. That's not how it works. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible. Get that. It is impossible to please Him without faith. You say, what kind of faith? Faith is believing, trusting 100% in what Christ did on the cross of Calvary to cancel out your sin and to make you right with God so that when God sees us, we're justified. You see, God treated Jesus on the cross. He imputed Jesus with our sins and treated Jesus as if He was guilty. And Jesus died under the weight. And the guilt of sin was penalized. He was a sacrifice. He was punished on the cross for our sins. And He bore our sins away. He's the scapegoat. 
Or, well, we're the scapegoat. We got loose. And he's, he's the sacrifice that took the penalty for our sins. You see? And he was treated as if he was guilty. And then when you get saved, guess what happens? You get treated as if you are righteous. You have the righteousness of Christ in your account. Well, that's a mercy. That's a mercy. You know what a mercy is, don't you? A mercy, it's, it's a negative truth. It has a negative aspect to it. It's God not giving us what we deserve. God not giving us what we deserve. That's mercy. We studied this morning about the king, and, and uh, he, he's called the king, he's called the Lord, and he has a debtor. He has this man who's in so much debt, he cannot possibly get out of that debt in his lifetime. He does not have enough assets, doesn't have the means. And so he's guilty before this king, and this king says, I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife and your kids, you're going to become my assets, and that's going to have to be, that's the best I can get out of you, but you, you're never going to be able to pay off this debt. So he says, I just forgive you of all your debt. That's mercy. And then that unjust uh, debtor, he went out and he started handling people rough and beating up people that owed him money and throwing them into prison. And, and uh, the Lord called him back and said, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. I'm just kind of putting this into my own words. Shouldn't have done that. And so he was in trouble and then he threw that guy into prison because he wasn't merciful. You see? God has mercy upon us. We're in debt with sin and we cannot possibly pay it off. But Christ pays the debt for us on Calvary. Paul says, because of the mercies of God. Look at the previous chapter in verse 30. You can see it real clear. Verse 30. Leading right up to chapter 12. So he says here, For as ye in times past have not believed God. He's talking to to Gentiles, to us, the nations of the world. You have not believed God, yet have obtained mercy through their unbelief. That's talking about the Jews. For even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. One of these days God's going to save His chosen people, the Jews. He's going to save a remnant in the tribulation period. For God hath concluded them all. In unbelief, that was me and you before we got saved, unbelievers, that he might have, what does it say, mercy upon all. Praise God. Because of some good thing that I've done? No, God just said I'm going to have them all just in the same boat. Unbelief. Guilty. And I'm going to have mercy upon them and forgive them. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor, or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again. That's none of us. Nothing you can give to Him to save your soul. You don't have enough to pay for it. Look at that. For of Him... And through Him and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salvation is all of God. He does it all. What a wonderful mercy. And so Paul says, therefore, because of the mercies of God, which is a phrase that just summarizes all of that truth in the first 11 chapters. Therefore... I want you to do something. What is your duty in light of this, of this doctrine? What's your practical duty? Well, our response ought to be, 
to present ourselves before God as a living sacrifice. You know, in, um, in good teaching, the Bible ought to be explained. Like, if, if you go to a church today and if you want to find out if it's a good Bible-believing church, if you're saved, the next thing you need to do is get into a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Billy Graham would say that after people got saved. Franklin Graham still says it today. If you're saved, get into a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. How will you know if it's a good one? How will you know? Because when you come to church, the preacher will stand up there and he will read the Bible. And he will explain the Bible. And he will illustrate the Bible. Illustrations help us to understand it. They're like windows that let light in on the scripture. After explaining the Bible, illustrating the Bible, then if he's a faithful preacher... He will apply. Apply it to our daily lives. What does this mean on Monday morning? That's good Bible teaching and Bible preaching. And Paul here says the application for everything that I've taught you and illustrated, the application is this, that you need to present your life as a living sacrifice. And just before we move on to the next point, I have to say that our sacrifice cannot be compared to Christ's great and effectual sacrifice. His sacrifice is effective to pay for our salvation. And ours is not going to add to that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Our sacrifice is imperfect. And, and ours is not to pay for our salvation in any way. But what ours is, our, our living sacrifice, it's, a, it's, a, it's an offering of gratitude. Lord, I'm so thankful to be saved. I'm so thankful to have the truth. So thankful to have the Word of God and, and be able to read it for myself. So it's an offering of gratitude for what He did in saving our souls. So the second point this morning is our presentation, or the presentation. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that, that's kind of like the so what, what are we supposed to do? That ye present your bodies. A living sacrifice. The word translated present is an interesting word. It, it comes from a word that refers to standing by something. And the way that it was used is it was used of a servant standing beside his master. And that servant would come and he would present himself standing beside his master, showing his, his master that he is with him, that he is there, that he is ready and willing to do anything that the master wants him to do. He has presented himself there. And he waits for the master's bidding to say, I want you to go do this, I would like you to do that. And so he's ready to go at his master's call. Present. The same word, if you look at chapter 6, verse 13, the same word is translated to yield in chapter 6. The same Greek word. Now, I never ever use the Greek to correct the Bible. If you hear a preacher do that, that is not a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Get out. Go find a good church where they don't correct the Bible. Men are so filled with pride and full of themselves and of their education and their scholarship that they think they can sit in judgment on the Word of God these days. And it's infected everything. 
It's infected evangelicalism all over the place. If that's happening, get out of that church and get to a church where the preacher would never correct the Bible. So I'm not doing this to correct the Bible. I'm doing this just to help us understand the way that the word is used. So you look at chapter 6, verse 13, and it says here, Neither yield, that's the same word, to stand beside. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. That is, don't, don't use your body for unrighteous things. Don't give in to the pressure, maybe peer pressure, maybe internal pressure from your own nature, you know, your lust, your desires. Don't give in to it. Don't yield. Don't submit to it, to unrighteousness, unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. You see? As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. You know what it says? It says that who you yield yourselves to in verse 16. Don't you know that? That to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Whoever you yield yourself to as a servant to a master, it will be your master and you will obey it. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So it gives you an idea of what that word means. Back in chapter 12, it's not that we should change it there or that it should be a different word given there in the English. (laughs) It's the right word to help us understand it. It's talking about presenting ourselves. You have to make a decision to present yourself before God and say, God, I give you my body right now. And I'm here and I'm standing willing to... To be used of you and to do your will. And you just tell me when to go. It, I, it's a thing like you've you got to do this. Like You should go home and get alone in a room with the Lord. Nobody else around. And say, God, I, I came into this world naked. and Naked, I'm going to return. What I have is this body. And this body is yours. For your service. To do your will. I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice. But you know what some people do? A lot of times when when we're young, we'll offer our bodies to the Lord. And we'll do many things to serve the Lord. Might teach in a Sunday school. Might go and deliver a casserole to somebody. or Might even go to Bible college to study and... And look for a Christian mate. And we'll give our bodies to the Lord when we're young. But then you start to get into those years where you start making a lot of money. And you know, caring for your family. And one thing after another. A hobby. A sport. Some kind of an activity with children. And those things start to pile up. And you know what happens? People take. Take it back from the Lord. One time, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my body. I offer it to you. And then take it back. If you've done that, it's just as simple as this. Just rededicate yourself. Reconsecrate your life. Give yourself to the Lord. Give your body. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants our bodies. He wants to have control over this. The part of me that you can see. That's what he's saying. Yield your bodies. And when he says your body, he's he's saying your whole life. Our lives should be a continual offering to the Lord. And uh, 
Should we not be doing something for the Lord? Don't you think God has a will for your life, has a plan for your life? Absolutely, He does. Much of it's right here in the Bible. But He'll just tell you things. He'll tell you, I want you to do this. And we ought to obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit when He does that. That's talking about yielding your your bodies, your life as a living sacrifice. That's the presentation. I just want you to show up and stand beside the Lord as as your master. I mean, He's your Lord, right? Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. Why are you even calling me Lord? Is what he's saying. So we should, we should present ourselves. You know what? Our presentation, it's never perfect. It's never perfect. You know, Let, let's not kid ourselves. And I think sometimes the Lord just lets us get into something where we're over our heads or overwhelmed with one thing or another. Or maybe let us go through some kind of temptation and, and fall to it just so that we realize. <clears throat> you know... So it humbles us, and we, we learn to depend on Him more. And, and then come to present ourselves and say, Lord, I, I'm here to serve You, and I'm going to do the best I can by Your grace, with God's help, by God's mercies, I'm going to present my life to You and dedicate my life. The third and last point is illustration. So Paul, he, he makes his application starting in chapter 12, and it goes to the rest of the book. And then he's, his application is that we ought to present our bodies to the Lord. And then his illustration is, this is how we're supposed to do it, as a living sacrifice. This pictures the true meaning of the Christian life. A living sacrifice. Now, if you've never really read the Old Testament, you might not be as familiar with this. But basically, in the Old Testament law, people brought their sacrifices, animal sacrifices, to the priests... And the priest would take this sacrifice and there were certain procedures and and it was really particular about how it had to be done. And the sacrifice had to be perfect. They couldn't just bring any old little mangy thing. You know, the worst one of the flock. It had to be you offer your very best to God. And uh, they would put that animal up onto the altar and, and that would make an atonement for Israel. Not Clearing away the sin, not putting it away, but, but covering it, taking care of it temporarily. Because it all pointed toward the cross. But once Jesus came and He died on the cross of Calvary, laying down His life, as the Bible says, as a sacrifice. When that happened, then God cleared off all those animal sacrifices off that Old Testament altar. And He wants us to be up on that altar, not as a dying sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. You see, Christ died so that we could live. So it's, it's kind of like a contradiction in terms, it seems like. But what should we understand about this, this sacrifice? How should we, like, how can we use this? How can we understand it? Well, just know that Paul constantly used this language. In Ephesians, well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 18 says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell. That's sacrifice language, if you read the Old Testament. Paul said, you gave me something to help me out in my ministry, and I receive it, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. How can we use our bodies as a living sacrifice? By giving, by sharing. Especially in the gospel ministry with people who are out and doing the work 
of the ministry. We do that with missionaries here. We support several missionaries who go around the world preaching the gospel. Paul said, I receive your gift to me as a, an odor, a sweet smell, and it's acceptable, a sacrifice, and it's well-pleasing to God. Sharing, that's one of the ways that we use our bodies as a living sacrifice. I heard about a, a hog and a hen that was walking through Racine one day. Now, this ain't a true story, okay? But uh, let's suppose there was a hog and a hen walking through Racine one day, and they saw a church sign out front of a church, and, and it said, uh, This Saturday morning, we're having ham and eggs. Free ham and egg breakfast. Everyone is welcome. You know, and that, that hen stood there looking at that sign, and the hog was looking at it, and that hen said, Isn't it wonderful what we can offer to the church for the work of God? And the hog looked at the hen, and the hog said, For you... It's an offering. For me, it's a sacrifice, right? That's the difference between an offering and a sacrifice. You see, the Lord doesn't just want from us just a little bit here. You know, I'm just going to give a little to the Lord, and then the rest is mine. No, He wants the whole thing. Amen. He wants you to sacrifice for the Lord. You know, uh, from the Gospels, I think the Gospels... Illustrate well what a living sacrifice is. Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. He came to do His Father's will. John the Baptist said, He must increase. Speaking of Jesus, He has to get bigger. He has to be magnified. He has to become more, John said, and I have to decrease. That in my life, Jesus is most important. And his ministry is going to overtake my ministry and, and go beyond what I was able to do. A living sacrifice. And Paul says it's only reasonable. Now, now God is not saying that I just want you to have no will of your own. Or I don't want you to be reasonable. God's not saying that. God's not saying, don't, God's not saying do something unreasonable. No, he's saying be reasonable. I gave you brains. You have to make plans for your future. You should seek to find a good, uh, good paying job. And, and you should think about you know, your children and their future. And you should do those things. You should plan for those things. God expects us to be responsible and to be reasonable. Um, but what he's saying is that you're just not living for self anymore. I think it's just that simple. You're not living for yourself. You're living for me. And when you live for me, you become the kind of person that's not self-centered, but you're, you're others. You're God-centered. You're Christ-centered. And you're others-focused. And so you're thinking about the people that you have to take care of, you know, such as your family. Paul said it's your reasonable service. You know, Christ died for us, and he wants us to live for him. And God will show us what to do. But we have to do it. You understand that? It's not just this whole thing. If I just go into a room and I get alone with the Lord and I have you know, the goose pimples and everything and have a real good time of prayer and I just say, Lord, here I am. I present myself to you. Then everything is just going to happen? No. He's going to tell you to do things and we are to do it. We are to say, there's things that I will do with this body and there's things that I won't do with this body. 
I won't just drink in all the pleasures that I want. I won't, there's places that I won't go with this thing. There's people that cannot touch this thing called my body. It's a living sacrifice. You know, uh, let's finish in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. I want you to see uh, just a couple of examples from Paul's own ministry, um, because I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But I want you to see what it really means to be a living sacrifice and offer up a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. So in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, we'll, we'll finish there. I already read that we are to share. That's one way to give offerings to the Lord. Peter said, we're lively stones, we're built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Our life itself ought to be a living sacrifice. And then we also offer sacrifices to the Lord as priests. And it's acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of... Praise. That's what we can offer to the Lord. Our praise to God continually. That is the fruit of the lips. You use your body to give thanks to His name. That's an offering. Sharing is an offering. Giving thanks and praise to God is an offering. In verse 6, But to do good, doing good with your body is an offering. Not serving unrighteousness, but serving righteousness. To do good and to communicate, that's sharing. Forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. In other words, every word flowing out of our grateful heart and praise is acceptable to God. And every act that is prompted by the love of Christ or by the Holy Spirit, that act is in itself a spiritual sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice to God, and it's a sweet-smelling savor. God is pleased with it because you are in His Son, in Christ. You know, Frances Ridley Havergal, she wrote this wonderful poem that was turned into a hymn. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Let's stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed this morning, if you would, please. What I'd like you to do is, if you have given yourself to the Lord, but you took it back, I'd like you to reconsecrate your life to the Lord, rededicate your life to the Lord. If you're not saved today, I'd like you to I'd like you to come at the invitation and trust Christ as your savior. What I mean by that is if you died today, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven or is there some doubt? If there's any doubt in your mind as to whether or not right now if God were to take you out of this life, whether or not right now you would go to heaven, 
If there's any doubt, you can get that settled today. You can be 100% sure. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you, that ye may know that you have eternal life. You can know. With heads bowed and eyes closed, brother, sister in Christ, I'm appealing to you like Paul as a brother, just one of the family members in the family of God. We have to ask ourselves this question, is my life a living sacrifice? Am I always willing and ready to obey the Lord's will or am I holding something back? Am I offering anything to Him right now with my life? Am I offering, am I sharing, am I giving thanks and praising Him regularly? Am I Am I uh, doing good with my life? Or is there something I'm doing with my body that I shouldn't be doing? How dedicated are we to the will of God today? With nobody looking around and with God's people praying, if you could say today, preacher, I know I'm not saved. I know I'm not a Christian. But I'd like to know more. And I don't want to go to hell when I die. I'd like to know know more. Is that you this morning? Would you put your hand up? Would you raise your hand and just tell me, I'm just going to pray for you. And tell me, preacher, I'm not saved. I want to be saved today. I'd at least like you to pray for me. Is there anyone like that today? You could just put your hand up quickly and put it back down. All right, I see that hand. God's people are praying. I'm going to pray for you now. and We're going to have an invitation time. And If you need to come forward and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord as a Christian, you can do that at this time. I would love to pray with you. If you want to do that privately and personally at home, then I understand that too. But if you are a believer here today and you say, Preacher, I just want you to pray for me. I don't want you to call me or visit me or anything like that. I just want you to pray for me about this this matter. I'm not as dedicated to the Lord as I would like to be. Is there anybody here who would like to raise their hand and say, Preacher, would you just be in prayer for me? Because I'm going to tell you guys, I could raise my hand at that invitation. I think any one of us could. If you say, Preacher, I just want you to remember me in prayer this week. Would you raise your hand at this time? Brother or sister in Christ, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. I'll pray. Let's pray for one another as well. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this invitation time. Father, I thank you for the hands that were raised. Lord, you know our hearts. And Lord, we want to be living sacrifices, wholly dedicated to you, Father, and to present ourselves to you. I pray for these that raise their hand. God, I pray for just your spirit to do a a work of renewal. Lord, a, a work in our hearts and in our lives that we might see you working through our lives, that we might know just in each detail of every day to be very much aware that we are a living sacrifice, that we are offering up to you spiritual sacrifices that you are well pleased with. It puts a smile on your face. Help us to walk in light of that truth. We we rededicate ourselves to that. We recommit ourselves to that. We repent of taking back what we've given to you. And Lord, help us just to go ahead and go forward now, not looking back with this exciting life that is the Christian life. And Father, I pray for... Uh, Anyone in here today who's not sure, they don't have it settled. Father, I pray that you would 
bring conviction of sin, the knowledge of salvation, and assurance that comes through Christ alone. It's in your name we pray. And amen. Amen. It's been so good to be here today, folks, with you. That concludes our service. And I want to welcome you back here tonight. 6 p.m. We'll be in the book of Acts. God bless you. Grab us here.